This episode of She Does is brought to you by Fun Home. This year's Tony Award-winning Best Musical based on the best-selling graphic memoir by Alison Bechtel. The Associated Press calls this groundbreaking production the best of what Broadway can do. Get tickets at funhomebroadway.com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code SHEDOES at checkout to get 10% off. This episode is also brought to you by Texture, a smartphone or tablet app that lets you leaf through hundreds of your favorite magazines. Try Texture for free by going to texture.com slash she does. That's texture.com slash S-H-E-D-O-E-S. Oh, and beware. We use a fair amount of foul language in this episode. All right, let's get started. I think we have a responsibility to mine what we know. And I think that it's great to make up stories and live in imagination. That's wonderful. I can do a better job with something I've been through. And I just would rather work in that territory. Plus, I kind of learned something. And I know I do like to put myself through the trenches, apparently. I think I just, it's like this just working hard and digging into something. I'm like, oh, this is just how I, this is my path. Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And I'm Elaine Sheldon. And today we would like to introduce you to Lily Baldwin, a filmmaker and dancer who uses movement of the body and unconventional narrative structures to tell human stories. She's made a handful of short films that have premiered at South by Southwest in the Lincoln Center and have been featured on Short of the Week, Nowness, Vimeo Staff Picks, and Fandor. In her work, she goes from being graceful to rigid, contorting her body in scenes made up of bold, jarring edits. In other moments, she's simply another human on the street, walking with the rest of us. So yeah, she's definitely someone to watch. She's a Sundance fellow with her upcoming VR project titled Through You, and she's gearing up to shoot her first feature film titled Glass. Just last week, Collective Unconscious, an omnibus feature made up of five films, one of which is Lily's, had its premiere at South by Southwest. The music in this episode is by Michelle Blades, a Mexican-Panamanian musician who is currently living and making sounds in Paris. Lily is full of energy. She's busy. And that's the way she likes it. I mean, I literally feel like I'm kind of tripping through life these days. Not as in tripping. Well, physically, because I am clumsy, but also just sort of high from, like, jumping and never really landing in one place. And I'm just sort of trusting that that's what's the jam. Not only does she write, direct, and choreograph, perform in, and edit most of her work, she usually has at least five things in motion at once. Well, I'm waiting to get feedback on my script that I just submitted. From and she thrives on challenge, recently pushing herself into new cinematic territory by exploring other genres and taking on different roles. And then I have a, like, I don't even remember. Should I look at my calendar? <laughs> Lily literally went and got her giant planner. We're talking giant, like huge. Okay, because of all these things happening at once, because I feel like sort of now is, I want to just carp, very, feeling very carpe diem about things and sort of immortal these days and aware of my second career, my age, and just wanting when there's momentum to be in it and just engage. And it's also incredibly exciting. So I have to try to make time feel as expansive as possible. So these big boxes really help me. And when I look at it, I literally just feel like way more spacious so I don't know about you but doesn't don't you feel like you can do that's like a never-ending day killing time stopping time um 
in the nick of time. Um, I just like love how time is used in vernacular too, because uh, it is such a construct, you know? I mean, it really is, you can do so many things with it. You can either be in front of it, behind it, and doing, trying to basically do less is the way to, and less multitasking. I feel like I've worked my buns off and now I'm feeling seen in a way that I haven't and recognized and I'm not trying to fit into this normalcy box and I can just sort of trust that the way I see things is actually interesting and worthwhile, which is a great feeling when you really feel it. You know, we always question ourselves and I think that questioning yourself is important. I think that kind of humility and doubt can serve you. You said second career. Can you unpack that a little bit? Mm-hmm. I've been using the word unpack. That my... I think that's the first time I've ever used it. <laughs> I've never heard you say it. Lily considers her current endeavors in film to be part of what she calls her second career. Because before this, she was doing strictly dance. She started dancing at age nine, which she considers to be pretty late wasn't like a little studio baby, which always made me feel a little bit sort of behind or on the outside. She grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and studied dance all around Boston, doing summer programs and getting residencies and scholarships to prestigious dance schools. She went on to study dance at the University of Michigan, but counterbalanced dance and her studies of the body with an art history minor. In 2000, Lily moved to New York City to work as a professional dancer, specifically in modern dance. And I was thud, you know? It's like, okay, how do you make a living? What are you making? Where do you perform? And it didn't feel as gallant as I thought. Why modern dance? Why contemporary dance? Um, I think I just couldn't do ballet. I mean, I was late. I was kind of an awkward... My mother would beg to differ, but I wasn't... I didn't have, like, the traditional dancer's body. I really had to teach myself how to how to be in my body. You know, there's certain gigs that I got that really pushed my body because my body was took on the shape of whatever I was doing. You know, you're like clay, and you work on a project for no less than five months, maybe up to a year and a half or two years, and you just sort of take on that shape of your practice. I mean, it's the coolest thing ever. I, I'm having issues with not dancing right now, and so I'm sorry. Um, I'd, I feel like I'm having a bit of an identity crisis, you know, just like, who am I? And can I still dance? And um, needing to really, even if I'm not performing, which I would, I, I don't even know if I should call myself a dancer because I'm not actively doing it. And I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like that would be a poser. What does it mean to be a dancer? For me, there's this attention to detail and daily commitment to yourself as an instrument to commit to my body as a tool of expression. And what that means is insane rigor. You don't stop when it hurts. You believe in it, even if you don't have a claim. And you know, your body is changing every day. And it's like, you just can't escape yourself. So, I mean, I'm, I have like these big feelings about being a dancer these days. I just really love dancers. I don't love all dance, but I love dancers. I feel like we are such a breed. It's especially modern dance, which I don't always love modern dance, to be honest. I was like, what the hell is this? It's like, doesn't, what does it mean? But I like that it asks me that question. And I think you have the capacity to wake people up in unexpected ways. Um, and I, I do feel like there's discipline is important. Whatever that is, is like being rigorous with whatever you do. 
you get to know someone really fast because you're working with their body, right? Just And you don't, even taking workshops or studying, you know, you're suddenly partnering with someone and trusting each other's weight and, you know, they're stinky or I'm stinky or, you know, you, you need to wash your feet or this is really fun. I don't know why this makes so much sense. And um, so basically everything was just on a fast track. So finding my people was easy because you just cut to the chase. There's not a lot of bullshit. And those are friends I've just had for years and I still have. You know, you're making up vocabulary too. And it's just this really interesting space to exist and grow up in. And it's not like you're learning a codified form. And you work really fucking hard and you make no money at it. And so you really better love it. The no money thing became a problem. And in order to stay in New York and continue dancing professionally, Lily needed to find another source of income. So with her friend Tony Milas, she started a fitness and wellness company called Hatch NYC. Me and Tony were kind of these ballsy, chatty, committed dancers that just wanted to teach. And so rather than waiting tables, we thought, let's just work privately and kind of deal with bodies in that way. So that was totally fascinating because it actually really helped me direct, I think, and write stories and study people and their bodies. And like, okay, you have an hour with them. Who are they? What do they need? And what am I going to do about it? So Lily was teaching at Hatch NYC while she danced and took auditions. And through a friend, she was invited to audition for a gig with David Byrne. It was his 2008-2009 world tour called Everything That Happens Will Happen Today. Lily was selected to be one of the three dancers to perform on stage with David Byrne as he led his 150-show tour. And it completely changed her life. I thought it'd be nice to do something unexpected that also makes it a little bit more of a show. I thought, how can we do that in one way? It would be through dancers and movement. The tour was captured by Hillman Curtis in his feature documentary, Ride, Rise, Roar. Take a peek at this film, or at least the teaser, which you're hearing right now, and you'll be sure to see Lily working alongside David Byrne. David is an idiosyncratic, committed maker. The work you see and who he's known for, he kind of lives that in such an intense way. And I have a huge respect for him and how he lives his curiosity. Lily absorbed it all. David and the other strong, committed creatives on the tour had a profound effect on her, making her begin to pay attention to her impulses and her ideas. She began following through on things she would have dismissed before. And I basically took myself seriously for the first time as an artist. She began to think more about the ways that contemporary dance could actually speak to audiences, to people. I feel like they could hear the music more when they were seeing dance and you just people just open up. It's like you just kind of zip a layer of epidermis off. So if you can create an authentic state of being in front of a live audience, it's like this bizarre kind of archaic form of communication, you know, that's not captured on a camera. There's something live happening. If it's authentic and you're just bearing witness to it, it's like this really cool form. And then I thought, okay, how can I turn that into a product as like something that can live throughout time and place and just kind of be immortal as long as an object is immortal until we all blow up. The conditions of the tour were just right a perfect storm that allowed Lily, 
who had never been a big film lover, to fall into making motion pictures. The constant travel, New Zealand, Australia, all over Europe, and then across the country twice in a bus, the urge to create and encapsulate, and the proximity to the other creatives, who happened to be on tour as well. One of which was Mark Degliantoni, a composer who Lily has consistently collaborated with since she started making films. But it all started inside the walls of tiny hotel rooms, before and after performances. I would have him take photographs. Um, I would sort of set up a frame, and I'd say, okay, just click really fast, or, you know, and I would do this dance in front of the camera. And then I eventually got a timer, which is novel, and I'm like, oh, you just push it and it keeps going. And I just would bring a camera... And always sort of read the manual right before I shot it. I was like, okay, how right? Okay, to the right. Because I don't, I'm, I'm a little dyslexic. And so everything sort of shapes. So to the right, you know, more light to the left, this. And then I would make these stop motion films, these hotel studies, sort of ad hoc, raw approaches to narrative and almost documentary. I would be in a place and just sort of inspired by the aesthetic of the place and the way my body felt in the place. And then just on iMovie, I just thought, oh, you know, let me just make something out of this. Lily made a bunch of these stop-motion pieces. Then the tour ended, and she came back to New York City. Another thud. I was like, what am I doing now? I can't go back to my life as I've known it to be. She had all these experiences and work under her belt, but really, the city doesn't care. And so she went back to normal life. She kept her head up. I was living in this little six-floor walk-up cupola, old-school tenement in the East Village, um, which felt very romantic until it got cold, there wasn't heat, and I got bed bugs. That was hot. That was really hot. I kind of have a really crazy work ethic. I probably shouldn't say this. Lily didn't move. She wasn't about to let bed bugs get in the way of an upcoming deadline for a project she was working on. And plus, in her failed attempts to kill the bed bugs, she realized she wasn't sensitive to the little critters. So I would just live with them. I lived with them for like three weeks. And I would just remove my clothes when I came in. And I was just like, I'm one with the bed bugs. Lily was curious and energized by the challenges of this new medium of film. I realized I wanted to communicate to more people. And that was about working inside this box of film. Because I feel like it is, like film and music are kind of the ultimate artistic communicators for for audience numbers, it's the easiest to get out there. Lily's first film, Sleeping with Frank, features Lily and her collaborator, Lawrence Casella, as they go about their morning in their Queens, New York apartment. But the seed of this short film came from a dance Lily choreographed with her friend Netta. But I just thought, how, how can I make this into a narrative? And with actions, and can dance actually, like, can you undress clothes? Can you have breakfast and dance? Can you eat and dance? You know, what is that without it being cheesy? And this might typically fall into dreamscape, a technique or subgenre of film that rejects traditional models and instead plays with alternative ways to express the nuances of life. Oftentimes, dreamscape has no dialogue. And I mean, with dance, it's, you kind of repeat the same. You take one beat and you just repeat it and you're like, I love you, I love you like this, I love you like this. I'm sad in the morning, but then I love you later, you know, like, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's usually like an, a, one beat explored that's really kind of pushed in, pushed out, you know, it's like a fleshed out really big feeling moment. And I thought, what if we treated dreamscape, like what if we actually removed a chunk of dialogue, which is often, or action, which is like narrative, propelling narrative. And you say, can we say like seven things, seven beats with a dance? And first of all, I mean, what is dance? You know, that's another question. But 
with this idea of using body and not words or traditional actions. So that just became my kind of geeky like inquiry. Instead of dialogue and conventional shots, Sleeping with Frank is made up of gestures, split screens, odd angles, and lifts into the air that don't seem out of the ordinary at all. Lily is a true blue example of a self-taught filmmaker, and she sees her late entrance into film as an asset. An asset because she was fluent in the language, practice, and study of dance and body. How we live shapes our shape. And so I've always noticed, like in hotter climates, I feel like people stand in doorways more, and they kind of lean into hips, and lean, like they stand and kind of wait, and then when they're walking, there's a more lateral shift in their pelvis. And coming into film later was also an asset, because she had already developed a strong sense of aesthetic and a knack for recognizing and casting characters. And with the stuff Lily didn't know? I kind of learned by wanting, just needing things to happen. Like learning how to like learning how to edit at the Apple Store, utilizing the one-to-one membership gifted by her aunt. Or learning ways of structuring scenes by watching tons and tons of films and writing down what happens in each individual scene. Or throwing herself into the study, seeking to know and understand the background, the history of the subject matter, diving into libraries of books or images and text online, creating elaborate mood boards and reference libraries. Lily revels in the research. Sea Meadow, which is Lily's second film, centers around her grandmother's house. In actuality, Lily's grandmother had just passed away, and the family was dismantling the house in preparation to sell it. So I was like, oh my god, this is a vestige of a time that will never exist, and no one could just manage to upkeep it, and it was literally from another time. I wrote it when she was dying, actually, the whole film. It's the story of a woman who discovers she's a ghost in her own home, and it's sort of cyclical, where it begins with the death, and then it finishes with her encountering her body. And kind of heavy shit, you know? I had just come out of this time with my grandmother passing away and slowly and just looking at all these belongings and this idea of like artifacts and history. Lily entered her second career with a small base group of makers, people that she had developed relationships with from her first career, the dance world. She'd call in favors, exchange ideas, and get people involved in the projects. It's this idea of reciprocity that is most important to Lily. Hey, this is what I'm doing. What would you do with this? You know, where would you take my idea? How could you bring yourself to this? And where does it, where do you want it to take you that you haven't been? I always say I'm really specific about what I want, but I'm not afraid to be wrong or told otherwise. So I do love that, like, tossing out ourselves and be kind of like really specific strong-willed people working together as long as you're up for like trusting in the greater good of that convergence. So I, I had the privilege of working with people that I could learn from, that I trusted. And I always feel like I want to support people to do something they haven't done and give them a platform to explore and take risk. And that is literally the premise of every production when I have the, the freedom to do that. Ben Wolf, a filmmaker she met on the David Byrne tour, was the DP on Lily's first two shorts, Sleeping with Frank and Sea Meadow, and would go on to shoot Lily's third short project, a personal favorite of mine, A Juice Box Afternoon. This short tells the story of Anne Morrow Lindbergh through her own writing as she comes of age, meets Charles Lindbergh, and experiences flight in multiple ways. 
and I don't know why I bother telling people the truth when they ask me what I think about this or that or what I feel about this or that. Much of this piece takes place in front of a green shrub that frames Lily, who plays Anne, dancing in ways that are painful to watch, yet sometimes slowed down so that we see the beauty of the body and the movement of the fabric that covers it. I will escape! I saw standing against the great stone pillar a tall, slim boy in evening dress. In Sleepover LA, a short that premiered at South by Southwest in 2014, Lily takes things to the next level. The production value, the cast of characters, the locations, and the variety and playfulness of shots. How did you see your confidence grow in kind of like assuming that director role and, you know, being in it? How did you talk to yourself? Only recently do I feel like I can really confidently call myself a director. I would usually just say I like to direct things. <laughs> Same thing with an art, being an artist. I like to make things. It's my, prefer, my preferred statement. But assuming the role of director, I just, nobody else was going to do it unless I did. All I do. body of work and I it gets you know if you look at Sleepover LA after Juicebox mm -hmm. so I kind of see it getting like production is getting bigger yeah, and bigger totally I, I just want to understand or like at least get a better idea of like how you direct and I mean you, you are assuming so many roles that's like not typical it's and I think it's got to stop to be honest Swallowed was just crazy I mean I had so many people on the set and so many amazing talented people that I was Great. And then I was playing this really intense part. How do I do it? I just probably go, I call it, what do I call it? I call it split personality authorship. And I think it's about being a dancer too. You're, you're in a body, like, okay, I'm gonna have to be on my leg and balance. I'm negotiating a space and another body that's gonna come at me in eight counts. And there's people watching. So, you know, you're used to just like this sort of multitasking. -ness. So I think that really did lend it. But, and every time I'm, I always have a party scene where shit gets fucked up or just a little crazy. Like I called it like um, normalcy collapses or something goes awry. And I'm inevitably end up inside of it and I'm just leading people. And so that happened and swallowed in this barbecue scene and um, in every film thus far. I know how to direct by doing, so I am actually trying to explore stepping back. Lily thrives on exploring this uncomfortable, strange territory, or as she calls it, corrupting shit. She definitely ventures into unexplored areas in her most recent film, Swallowed, one of five short films that make up an omnibus called Collective Unconscious. Dan Schoenbrunn selected five filmmakers to adapt one another's dreams into film. Collective Unconscious premiered in competition last week at South by Southwest as the first omnibus film of the festival. Swallowed is Lily's take on horror, a film about a suburban mother, played by Lily, who is physically overcome by a beast growing inside of her, and it desperately wants to get out. This film is shot so beautifully, from a scene in the grocery store to close-ups of the mother's face abstracted by mirrors. But it's also not always exactly a joy to watch, and I think that's the point. I was sort of sick of being pretty. I feel like there was a lot of pretty things I made and I just wanted to get back to more of my performance roots that felt a little more raw. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Support for She Does comes from the groundbreaking Broadway musical Fun Home, winner of five 2015 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Book, Best Director, and Best Actor. 
It's based on Alison Bechtel's acclaimed graphic memoir and tells a refreshingly honest story of coming out as a teenager, revisiting the past, and seeing your parents through grown-up eyes. Elaine and I got the chance to see Fun Home, along with a few of our listeners. The tender way this undertold story was written and performed left most of us pretty weepy by the end of the show. My name's Alexis. Honestly, I'm really blown away. I don't think I really ever thought, and I know I'm going to cry when I say this, that there would be like something like this in our lifetime. It's huge. There was nothing else like this. Nothing else had been written like this. And to be so well-received and universally loved. Like, I don't know anybody who saw the show and like felt meh about it. Everybody either had a strong visceral reaction to it or like hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> Our next episode features one of the masterminds behind Fun Home, writer, lyricist, and Broadway game changer, Lisa Crone. You can want to tell a story in which everybody in the world is the same and everything in the world is just like everything else. That's a story people really like to tell. Or you can want to tell a story about how things are not the same and yet equally human. Tune in to She Does on April 6th for our exclusive episode with Lisa and get tickets to see this revolutionary show at funhomebroadway.com. She Does is also supported by Texture, an app for your smartphone or tablet that puts hundreds of your favorite magazines cover to cover in the palm of your hand. I spend a majority of my time in my apartment. It's where I work, where I sleep, and where I eat. But my menu has sadly become cereal, salad, or canned soup, and I've been looking to change that. At the same time, I've been wanting to declutter and simplify my apartment. So Texture's been the perfect solution for this dilemma. Using the app, I can bookmark articles featuring recipes from magazines I know, like Real Simple or Vegetarian Times, or I can take a look at the titles and articles the Texture editorial team recommends for me every day. Either way, it all exists in one place, and not in dusty stacks of magazines in the corner of my bedroom. And just like that, I'm on my way to becoming a sustainable master chef. I bet Texture can do some good for you, too. Sign up to gain immediate entry to all the content from the world's best publications, including back issues and bonus video content. And guess what? Texture is offering She Does listeners a free trial when you go to texture.com slash she does. That's texture.com slash S-H-E-D-O-E-S. This episode is also sponsored by Squarespace. And thank goodness for Squarespace, a service that honestly, we'd be nowhere without. We've been told multiple times that our website, which holds all of our content and artwork, is really something beautiful. The funny thing is, it was probably one of the easiest things to build. So much of our time is spent focusing on these episodes. You're welcome. But that leaves us very little time to give to the website. Thankfully, Squarespace offers intuitive and easy-to-use tools that allow us to look like we're professional website designers. And there's a cherry on top. When you sign up, you can get a free domain name for a whole year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and make sure that when you sign up, you use offer code SHEDOES to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. All right, now let's get back to Lily. Do you see yourself exploring themes um continue like digging deeper into certain themes or do you see yourself maybe jumping a little different into different things no it's it's funny like uh it's sort of the same theme embedded inside of different scenarios it's often this idea of like underbelly or contradiction or you think it's this but it's this I think this idea also of queer and gender is something that's been important to me just um I've had two, I've been through two transitions with partners and I don't talk a lot about my sexuality. It's not like I wear them. I don't really care who anyone's sleeping with, but it is, I'm realizing more and more as I move in and out of 
you know, all these different worlds. And um, I, what is a front? And that there's basically there's more than meets the eye. All of Lily's projects, whether she's in front of the camera or not, stem from a personal place. Right now, she's in the writing phase of her first feature film, Glass. It's a fiction film inspired by true events. Lily has been co-writing this elevated thriller with Gwendover Turner, writer of Go Fish and American Psycho, and she hopes to shoot the film this spring of 2016. I mean, this is straight narrative. You know, there's no, there's a couple dance sequences, but it's like narrative, and it's a feminist take on stalking. And it's a story that is about a woman who finds something in herself because of trauma. And it's not necessarily pretty, but it leaves her off with more wisdom and sense of capacity after the fact, even though she is still a little bit, you know, she's living with some hard stuff. The hard stuff is inspired by real life. And it's something that Lily is dealing with and has been dealing with, a stalker. I've had a stalker for seven years and I continue to have a stalker. And that has been pretty traumatic and confusing. And it's kind of manifested in packages, phone calls. He's been looking for me for, you know, about three, four times. Um, I built a case with the SVU around it. Was in hiding for a month while he was, they were trying to capture him. It was, it was pretty dramatic. Um, and then the case was actually dropped because he was deemed unfit for trial. There, I couldn't get a felony of protection behind me. So I didn't really talk about it for a while. It was really not a fun topic and nothing that I needed to make. You know, I didn't have a lot of control over it. So I decided to make a film about it. So I did eventually, it would kind of eke out here or there, and then I realized how many other people have stories about unwanted gays. And I want to tell my story because I actually don't want to, I don't want to live in hiding. I don't want to live in fear, but somebody's always watching you, and especially with social media now, where your cachet and your voice is like personality. I'm going to put my private parts out there. It's fucking fun, too. Like, I don't want to hate on it. I don't want to say... Oh, social media is bad. I mean, it's voyeuristic. We're pressured to put ourselves out there as women or anybody. Sure, that's part of it. But I'm sick of that argument, too. It's just like, this is the way of the world now. So basically engage it, but know when to set a boundary and know when to ask for help. Did that experience, did it make you kind of think twice or like rethink putting stuff out there again? And like, how did you overcome that? And that's only if you feel comfortable talking about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, with glass and how, yeah. yeah. With, well, and with, with the your stalking. It's, yeah, it's on. It's happening now. I mean, he's um, coming on strong. So I feel like I need to educate and I, I really want to use I'm definitely exercising something in myself, I think, by looking at this and taking charge. Because stalking is a form of terrorism. You know, you're going to go to the, the SVU, and there is 
a burn victim or a sexual abuse victim or a physical abuse victim, it's like right there. It's apparent. That is violence. You know, stalking, where does, how do you measure stalking? You know, this is long-term stalking is this insidious invasion of privacy and gaze. And what does that do to you around trust? And so I think because I don't have the protection that I would like right now, I'm going to open myself up to educate. And that is basically what I can do with my with this pain, with the struggle, not even pain, what I can do with this shit. <laughs> Why is that important, do you think, to have, I mean, it's your unique work and it's your point of view and personality. Like, why do you think that's important? And also, like, what are the risks of that? It's risky. I mean, I feel scared sometimes. I feel um, nervous. Always putting, I mean, I'm even nervous to put out Swallowed. I, there's, I feel totally exposed. This particular film is obviously more personal other than just performance. And I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier, this idea of believing a performance is when something's really happening. And I just feel like we need to mine slash unpack <laughs> going back. But I think we have a responsibility to mine what we know. It's great to make up stories and live in imagination. That's wonderful. Um, I can do a better job with something I've been through. And I just would rather work in that territory. Plus, I kind of learned something. And, you know, I do like to put myself through the trenches, apparently. I think I just, it's like this just working hard and digging into something. I'm like, yeah, this is just how I, this is my path. Do you feel like you're good at balancing personal, professional life? I've gotten better at it. I'm like, yeah, that was me in the film. This is me, you know, and I, I do find a, a clear boundary with people. But, you know, swallowed, I'm writhing around on the floor with like milk all over me. And it's super kind of crass. It's violent. It's sexual and it's unhinged. And I know I'm about to go put that in the world and do Q&As and interviews. And, you know, it's fine. It's, but that's like a... Yeah, that's, I think that those kind of things teach me. It's just like, this is a performance. You know, this isn't real. Even though I'm having a pretty real moment when I shot that, just FYI, you know? So, yeah. It's just that life, life is unlived if, if you don't, for me, if I don't kind of peel off the layers. But did it take a second to get back to that? After being so scared and, and going into hiding for a little bit, making yourself vulnerable is a really positive thing sometimes. And then other times, it's you, you're vulnerable not by choice. When you kind of first got into this, getting back in that territory of um, putting yourself out there, how did you, how did you get there? Another really good question. Because um, there's this beat in glass where the our girl, our woman, Frances, basically looks her stalker in the eye and just says, okay, just come to me, you know? And this idea of looking, and I'm clearly working some stuff out on this film, but you know, this idea of looking to the eye of the predator or looking to that which is most challenging, you know, kind of is definitely the sort of Buddhist premise. How did I do it? I was mad. Mad. Yeah. I think I just, there's a lot of things I haven't said 
I've, that I should have said no to that I didn't in my past. And that's, I'm, I'm definitely on a chick mission right now in a way too, just because I feel more of like a woman, a visible woman than I ever have. So I'm just like, I kind of want to do whatever I want is a feel is a feeling in me. So I think it's that feeling, which is a little bit of fuck you, but a little bit of like, all right, here we go. Time is short. Let's do it. You know, I, I also just feel like, well, who am I as an artist in a world when like, there's not a, barely going to be enough water soon for everyone. I mean, it definitely feels indulgent at times to be an artist. And I, so I feel a responsibility to kind of wake people up, even if my language is a little sort of stylized art stuff. Like, what can I corrupt? And I think a lot of it, too, is honestly going through two of these transitions with partners and seeing expect, just seeing people and who they think somebody is. And like gender, you know, this front of like, well, you're this. If you look like this, then you're this, you know, in a really kind of rudimentary way. And even like me, like you have no idea who I am. I mean, you can make assumptions and I can think I know who you guys are. And I think I'm pretty good at it. And we probably have, you know, rapport. But I just love that there's so much more. I just feel like people are a little stuck. Myself, and so that's sort of, that's like my little mission is to rip up things a little bit. Well, and are also many versions of ourselves. It's true. Not that I'm dishonest about who I am, but I'm a different person right now than many other times. Oh like that God. dance video I sent you, remember? Oh, yeah. He danced yeah, with yeah. my dog. He danced with my dog. Me and my dog <laughs> running wild. Come on, Kitty, run. Come on, Kitty. it for your grandpa. I just feel like, I, I just, I feel like it's a lie we tell ourselves that we're, we are one person. I completely agree. And we should play. And that's why the social media component of Glass is, I'm not criticizing it, but social media is the ultimate stage, or internet, really. And I don't know why I'm kind of on this bend right now, because I feel like you don't need the internet to do that, but we should do that every day. But it's just this idea of being one step removed from physical presence lets us try on who we could be. And I think we should do that more in our life. What you do is amazing, but we like to break it down of like, how do you actually support making these projects? Are some of them fun for no budget or are you raising money for each of these? Do you have like, as investors, do you just work another job? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. It's ev- it's all of those things. Um, every project has different kind of legs and, you know, whether it's some seed money that's come in and then the more I kind of pile people onto it. Unfortunately, people do have to donate a lot of their time, but I feel like I can guarantee a finished product that's going to be refined and excavated and be seen. So that's something that I can bring to the table when I ask for favors. Um, Yeah, so investors, people that, you know, are close to me that believe in me. And I also still teach. I have private clients. And so that's a consistent when I need to do that and then just kind of piece it together. But I'm planning on making a little more money this year. (laughs) That's the plan. (laughs) Recently, Lily was commissioned to make a short film for Glamour, featuring Misty Copeland, the first black ballerina to be appointed principal dancer for the American Ballet Theater. I've always seen myself as a ballerina, but it was really difficult when I was having this image pushed on me as to what a ballerina was, because I've always thought that I was that. I love the message of her, and I tried in this very short piece to get this across, is that you can start off thinking you're one thing and then be going along at a pretty, like, for a while. And then older than anyone else, 
you can actually be something else. And no matter if you're told you have the wrong body, you work hard, your dreams can come true. It's sort of like the best message ever. It's so simple, and don't we all want to be whoever we... Can't we just dream to be our ultimate version of ourselves? But also parallels, I mean, did people doubt you, or did you ever doubt yourself? And, and uh, I, I'm trying to get all it. All Sarah's questions are, how did you how overcome you, like, being scared? Yeah, like, how do you be confident? <laughs> I know. I know it's actually really good, because I... I mean, especially not having gone to school. And I'm just like, oh, man. It felt really dumb. Stupid. I have a hard time remembering things. Full of doubt. I mean, really. I guess how I got to this kind of, this, which I do feel confident. But I still think maybe I'm making crap. I mean, I do. But maybe you shouldn't say it. Don't tell, don't, don't tell people too much. Or maybe you can. I don't really, whatever. Um, I don't have much to hide these days, to be honest. I think it's because I feel like it's not just about me. Like, I like working with people, and I feel like I want to speak to other people. Or It's just this. So that's what gets me out of myself, is it's not just about me. Because if it was just about me, I probably wouldn't go anywhere, and it'd be boring, and I would just get stuck in not knowing or not feeling confident but I see how I can move people and that's inspiring I mean this is it's super cheesy but it's really true that it's not my own trip thank you to the wonderfully unusual Lily Baldwin for sharing her many experiences and trips with us yeah you just came up with the title of your own episode (laughs) it's not my own trip (laughs) (laughs) that's good i like it guys (laughs) visit our website shedoespodcast.com to find out more about lily and links to her work this show is a product of slate's panoply network and this episode was produced by us sarah ginsberg and elaine sheldon and sound design is by billy warasnik The music you heard in this episode is by Michelle Blades, a musician who was born in Panama, raised in Miami, spent time in Arizona along with a handful of other locations around the world, but is currently based in Paris. Michelle's music is as fluid as she is, going from acoustic sounds in her early albums to experimentation with electric guitar, synthesizers, found sounds, and repeating vocals in her more recent releases. Visit shedoespodcast.com music to find out more about Michelle Blades and where you can listen to and purchase more of her extraordinary music. Thank you to our partner, Filmmaker Magazine, and our friends of our independent music news for sharing these shows. Thank you for listening to She Does. She Does.